We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. In his presidential proclamation straight from the White House, Joe Biden says this, Pride is both a jubilant communal celebration of visibility and a personal celebration of self-worth and dignity. He then calls upon all of us to celebrate pride for the entire month of June. Today we'll talk more about whether or not this is a good idea for a deadly sin. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to The Rebellion. This is the second installment of a two-part series on pride. And the reason I'm doing this is obviously June has been officially designated as Pride Month. Now, in fairness, Joe Biden didn't declare this to be Pride Month in and of himself. It was already done. He inherited this. And in fairness to all of those of you listening to me right now who voted for Donald Trump, I am among you, I want to remind you, because of his defense of human freedom, Donald Trump also, also celebrated Pride, Pride Month. Now, he didn't issue an official proclamation and he didn't make a big deal of it, but Donald Trump also was very much in favor of the LGBTQ agenda. As you know, he's the first Republican president to actually acknowledge acknowledge the rainbow flag, etc. That's a different story, a different time. What I'm saying is that the conservatives listening right now can't claim to have clean hands on this issue if we've turned a blind eye to our own leaders when they embrace this lie. We need to thank them when they're right and criticize them when they're wrong. I've told you my story before about meeting with Donald Trump, and I asked him that should he become president, this was in the primaries leading up to his election in 2016. I had the opportunity to meet with him, and I asked him, I said, Mr. Trump, should you become president of the United States? I have one request of you. Just leave me alone. Keep the government out of my business. Stop intruding into religious issues and telling conservative Christians that they have to do things that they do not want to do that are antithetical to their statements of faith. I'm the president of a Christian college, my land, and as a Christian college president, I shouldn't be forced by the government to provide transgender accommodations on my campus. I shouldn't be forced to turn my male dorms into female dorms or my female dorms into male dorms. I shouldn't be forced to deny the biological reality of a female. I can't comply with Title IX if you tell me that women aren't real. I said to him, Mr. Trump, President Obama and his Department of Education are sending me letters telling me that I'm required by law to do all of these things, that under the auspices of Title IX, I have to now start giving men access to female sports. 
I have to now give men access to the woman's shower, to the woman's bathroom, and to the woman's dormitory, and I have to give biological men female scholarships to participate in athletics. I said, Mr. Trump, I will not do that. Should you become president of the United States, please just leave me alone. And you know, I've told you before what his response was. He looked at me, and he had one response. He said, well, do you have a problem if they've had the surgery? (laughs) I'm not kidding. That's all he said. Do you have a problem if they've had the surgery? Now, part of me just thinks he didn't get it. He didn't understand. He wasn't well-versed in this issue. He didn't understand the ontological, the epistemological, the theological reasons that I, the historical reasons that I said everything I just said. He just didn't understand because it wasn't his world to ever even digest those things. But what I do know is in spite of his peculiar response, he did what I asked him to do. He left me alone. I don't think he disagreed with the rainbow agenda at all, other than he didn't believe that the rainbow flag should supplant the flag of the United States. I think his patriotism and his love of country That instinct that he had in that area led him to do things that were right. But frankly, people, Donald Trump bought the lie too with regard to defining a person by their desires. He bought that lie. He bought the lie that human identity is the sum total of human inclinations and that if you're inclined to do something sexually, then that's your identity. He bought the lie that you're defined by your libido, not by your Lord. And that's the point of this two-part series on pride. Because pride cometh before a fall. Pride is the ultimate anti-God state of mind. C.S. Lewis. Pride elevates the human being above God, supplants God, declares yourself to be God, and then starts redefining everything and ignoring the definitions provided by God. That's pride. And we're going to spend an entire month celebrating pride. Well, we're going to call it something else. We're going to call it equality. We're going to call it celebrating the trailblazers who've bravely fought for equality. And let us recommit to the work that remains. Happy Pride Month. That's a quote from Joe Biden in his tweet that I read to you yesterday. So today I want to talk about pride again. Yesterday I got into C.S. Lewis's six reasons why pride is the worst of all sins. I basically dealt with the first three, kind of hinted at the fourth. Today I'm going to finish up the sixth, and I'm going to give you a little history lesson on how pride became labeled as one of the seven deadly sins. By who? By who? Well, guess what? Pope Gregory of the Catholic Church in the year, oh, about 600 A.D., So the Catholic Church, for 1,400 years, has identified pride as one of the seven deadly sins, arguably the worst of the seven, 
And here we have a Catholic president snubbing his nose at the Catholic Church by waving a flag celebrating that sin at the embassy in Rome, at the Holy See. Incredible. Incredible. The world is upside down. Good has become evil and evil has become good. And what does the prophet Isaiah tell us when we do that? Woe unto him. One, woe unto the person and woe unto the nation that reverses definitions because of his pride. Let's take a break, acknowledge our sponsors, and when we get back, we'll talk about the remaining three reasons of why pride is the complete anti-God state of mind from C.S. Lewis. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. So the topic again is pride. Well, let's ask the basic question. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Why are we celebrating it? Why are we waving flags and having a party about it for an entire month? Well, okay, if you listen to The Rebellion at all, which I'm assuming 99% of you who are listening right now have listened to previous shows. You know that I don't apologize for the fact that I am a conservative Orthodox Christian. Everything I say on this show, everything I say on this show, is from the perspective of being a remnant Christian. Now, why do I say remnant? It's because I'm frustrated with the label evangelical. I actually am an evangelical Christian, but the evangelical church, the emergent church, the affirming church, the nice church, the church of holy niceness, the church of wokeness, the evangelicals who have bought this lie um, are in great air. And I'm hesitant to even identify with that any longer. The reason is, if you can't get this issue right, if your definition of scripture is so weak, if your understanding of the Word of God is so inferior that you can't get this issue right, you're going to get a lot of other things wrong, too. My problem with the evangelical church is so many of us have bought this lie. So I kind of define myself in different terms today. A remnant, uh, orthodox, holding fast to the history, the reason, the experience, and the highest view of Scripture as my lens through which to look at the issues of daily life. All right. So in that context, what's the Bible say? What's the Bible say about pride? Well, here's one verse. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. So pride brings disgrace. Pride cometh before a fall. But in humility, we show our wisdom. Through our humility, we, ate, we attain wisdom. So we're celebrating the exact opposite for an entire month. Do you think that's a recipe for wisdom or foolishness? Should you watch the news for wise conclusions, or should you be prepared to see incredibly foolish conclusions, words, directives, and decisions? When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Here's another one. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil land perverted speech I hate. So God is specifically saying, 
that. Pride and arrogance. Perverted speech. It's twisting words. Deception. Lying. That he hates these things. Another Bible verse. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be proudful. Do not be proud. Do not elevate pride, but associate with the humble, the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And then here's another one, and I could go on and on. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit, humble in spirit, will obtain honor. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. More and more. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, proud, but humility comes before honor. Uh, here's another one. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. It's interesting. Nebuchadnezzar himself, he says this. For all his works, God's, are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He knew from whence he spoke. Nebuchadnezzar had been humbled by God. And he acknowledges that. And acknowledges that he, God, is God. And that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all, the most powerful king at that time, was not God. He learned his lesson. May we learn ours. So the point here is this. Pride is a negative thing. It's not a positive thing. Pride is not something we should celebrate. Pride is something we should confess. Pride is not a virtue. Pride is one of the seven deadly sins. Here's what G.K. Chesterton said about pride. His quote, Pride consists in a man making his personality the only test instead of making truth the test. The skeptic feels himself too large to measure life by the largest things and ends by measuring it by the smallest thing of all. Close quote, G.K. Chesterton. Digest that one. Listen to that one. I'm going to read it again to you. Pride consists in a man's making his personality his only test. Instead of making truth the test, the skeptic feels himself too large to measure life by the largest things, i.e. truth, and ends by measuring it by the smallest thing of all, i.e. yourself, your pride. Pride elevates you, the smallest thing, to be bigger and better and more wise and more virtuous than virtue itself, veritas itself, God himself, the word made flesh, the logos. Pride elevates you, it elevates me above the big things, the big laws of God, and diminishes life to measuring everything by the smallest thing of all, our own opinion, our feelings. That's G.K. Chesterton's point. Now, pride is one of the seven deadly sins. What are the seven sins? Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. One more time. The seven deadly sins are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. Now, where did these, this list come from? Well, I already told you early in the, earlier in the show. 
As best we understand it, this list of the seven deadly sins goes back to Pope Gregory in the year of approximately circa 600 AD. 600 AD. So for 1,400 years, over 1,400 years, one more time, 1,400 years, the church has held fast to this list. That these things, these attitudes of spirit, of mind, and soul, of lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride are sins. Great sins. Mortal sins. Sins that can damn your soul to hell. And now we're having a month-long celebration annually in the Western world, led by the United States of America, to celebrate one of those sins. Are we going to start dedicating a month to lust? Let's celebrate lust for an entire month. How about gluttony? Let's make February a month to celebrate gluttony. And March, a month to celebrate greed. And April, a month to celebrate sloth, excuse me. And then so on and so forth. Wrath and envy and pride. That's where we are. And Joe Biden, a Catholic, doesn't, I don't even know if he understands what the seven deadly sins are. Does he care? Does he believe in the authority of the church versus the authority of his own opinions and his own party? Is he more interested in political power than he is the principles that are some 1,400 years old? You could argue even older than that. If you go back to the Proverbs, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, it says this, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. So even in the Proverbs, we have seven things identified that the Lord hates. Seven sins that God abhors. What are they? Well, it's not the it's not a exact list that parallels the seven deadly sins, but it's pretty close. Do you know what the first one is in the seven sins? The six things the Lord hates. Yes, the seven are that are that uh, an abomination to Him. The first one is a proud look. The second one is a lying tongue. The third is hands that shed innocent blood. The fourth is a heart that devises wicked plans. Five, feet that are swift to running to evil. Six, a false witness who speaks lies. And seven, one who sows discourse among his brethren. During this month of June, we fly a flag celebrating pride. The first thing that the Lord finds to be abominable in this list out of Proverbs. All right, I've got to spend a few minutes getting back to C.S. Lewis. Promised you I would. Yesterday, I talked about why pride is the greatest sin, the sin that is worse than any other, the sin that is the complete anti-God state of mind. I said, number one, the proud person has to be better than everyone else. If I am prideful, I think I'm better than you, better than your neighbor, better than the next guy. I have to be better because pride says, I know more than you do. 
Pride leads you to snub other people, to patronize them, to be condescending toward them. Pride elevates winning over them and squashing them for the sake of your ego. Pride elevates you even above God. You have to be better than God. You have to know more than him. You ridicule and you criticize God because of your pride. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. And even having more of it, more power than God himself. That's a paraphrase from C.S. Lewis himself. He said this, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but that's not it, he says. They are proud because they're richer or cleverer or better looking than someone else. They always have to measure themselves against others and be better than them, better than even God. Number two, a proud person is never satisfied. He's never satisfied. You know, his greed may lead him to want to get more money, more houses, better food, better drink, but it's his pride that makes him wish to be richer than some other rich man and more powerful than some other powerful man. Pride means you're never satisfied. Number three, a proud person craves power. I think that's the critical thing. You look at Nancy Pelosi as she clings, clings to her mask as if it's J.R.R. Tolkien's mask of power, her precious, her precious. She clings to her mask. She's got the ring of power, only it's not a ring this time. It's a paper mask, a piece of cloth or paper that she puts across her face and demands that everybody else do the same and virtue signals that if you don't, I will crush you because I have the mask of power. I have the ring of power. A person who is proud craves power. C.S. Lewis, if I am a proud man, then as long as there is one man in the whole world more powerful or richer or cleverer than I, he is my rival and my enemy. Everybody who opposes Nancy Pelosi in the House right now, in the entire United States, is her enemy. You're a deplorable, you're a rube, you lack gray matter, you need to be crushed. She's not your representative, she's your queen. Number four, pride makes you God's enemy. Pride not only makes people enemies with each other, says C.S. Lewis. It also makes people enemies with God. Here's what he says. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. Pride reverses that. Pride elevates you to be superior to him. Pride makes you an enemy with God. Number five, pride makes you vulnerable to the devil. This is the fifth reason why C.S. Lewis says pride is the complete anti-God state of mind, why it's the worst sin of all. Here's what Lewis says about the devil and this particular point, that it makes us vulnerable to the devil. One way to fall into the devil's trap is to use pride to overcome simpler vices. Teachers, in fact, he says, often appeal to a boy's pride or, as they call it, his self-respect to make him behave decently. Many a man has overcome cowardice or lust or an ill temper by learning to think that they are beneath his dignity. That is, by pride. 
But Lewis says this, the devil laughs at that. He is perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided all the time he is setting up in you the dictatorship of pride, just as he would be quite content to see you cured of all other illnesses in return to give you cancer. In other words, cure you of a minor illness such as a headache or COVID. He'd be perfectly content to see you cured of COVID if he could just give you cancer. For pride is a spiritual cancer and eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. Do you get that one? Digest that one for just a second. The devil laughs. He's perfectly content to see you becoming chaste or brave or self-controlled or a good person, provided all the time he is setting you up to the dictatorship of pride, the malignant cancer of pride. He's quite content to see you cured of other smaller illnesses like a cold or a flu or even COVID-19. Oh, he'll celebrate you being cured of those things as long as he can sneak in cancer that will eat away at your soul. Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of the virtues of love and contentment and even common sense, sense that is common. What's the sixth reason? C.S. Lewis's sixth reason for pride being the worst of all sins? Well, here it is. Number six, the final reason, the final in the list of C.S. Lewis's uh, explanation and reasons for pride being the ultimate cancer of your soul. Number six, you can be blind to your own pride. In other words, you can't even see your sin. You're proud to the extent that you're proud of your pride and you don't even understand the self-refuting nature, the hypocrisy of that. He says this, the real black and diabolical pride comes when you look down on others so much that you do not care what they think of you. Of course, it is very right and often our duty not to care what people think of us if we do so for the right reason, namely because we care so incomparably more for what God thinks. But the proud man, says Lewis, has a different reason for not caring. He says, all I have done has been done to satisfy my own ideals, my artistic conscience, or the traditions of my family, or in a word, because I am that kind of chap. If the mob like it, let them. They are nothing to me. And that arrogance and that pride, that pride being proudful, is evidence that you can't even see yourself in the mirror any longer. You're delusional. You're delusional. It's this, I can't tolerate your intolerance. And I'm proud that I'm not prideful. Self-refuting. It's a lie. Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. And the only rebellion against pride is humility before God. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.